You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Go Wild. You've heard me talk about Go Wild before. I love this brand. I love this social media platform. Let me tell you why. I love it because it is full of like-minded outdoors men and women just like us. People who understand our lifestyle. They understand the things that we love and why it's so important to us. And that's the people that you get to be on this platform with. Um, that's the people who you're going to, who are going to be engaging with your content. You'll get to see their content just the same. Think of it like social media, like Facebook, Instagram. But if they kicked out all the dumb people and only had people who love the same things that you and I both love, which is the outdoors. You got everything from fishing, hunting, um, foraging, cooking, wild game recipes, camping, anything that you could possibly think of that is an outdoor sport that we love, uh, you can find it there. So go and check it out. You can find it on the App Store or you can visit the, the desktop site at timetogowild.com. Welcome to the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Parker McDonald, and this is episode number 91. Today on the show, I'm talking to my buddy Reese Johnson from Kentucky. Reese is telling us how he targets a specific buck, how he goes from winter, spring, summer, fall, all throughout the year, and the steps he follows to target a specific buck. Stay tuned. This is a good episode, guys. This is the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. I am excited today to bring you this episode. We are talking with uh, my friend Reese Johnson from Kentucky. Now, uh, I have been uh, I've been following Reese for a good amount of time, and man, the dude knows how to kill big bucks. The thing that really sticks out to me about Reese is that he targets specific bucks throughout the year, um, and he he follows them. From winter time when he's scouting in the winter postseason to the spring to the summer and during the fall whenever it's actually time to hunt them and he's been super successful doing so and so I think you guys are going to really enjoy this one it's also really we talk we go more into depth about um, some of the areas that he's keying in on certain terrain features that he looks for to target a specific mature buck Reese is one of those guys He's not just killing deer. He's not just killing a lot of deer, and he's not just killing decent deer. He's killing big ones, big mature bucks. So uh, I'm really excited about this. I think you guys are going to really enjoy this. Um, I am looking forward to right now, as I record this, it is Friday, and tomorrow we have the Tether Teach and Train event. Now, this episode is going to air on Monday, so it will already have passed. But if you were able to attend, thank you guys so much. Uh, it is, has, it's going to be great to meet you. I'm super looking forward to it, but if you were not able to attend the tethered teach and train, look out, look at, uh, the tetherednation.com website and go to the teach and train tab. And maybe there's one that is coming up in your area. I'm not sure, but, uh, maybe you'll be able to find one other than that guys. Um, man, I really, 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 we talk about, uh, saddle hunting a lot on this podcast and because, it's one of the things that, for me, I feel like has made me more effective as a deer hunter. And so, um, man, 
there is not a better company building saddles than Tethered Nation. It is uh, just one of my favorite companies. It's run by some of my favorite people in the entire universe. They're just good people. They love the sport. And uh, so go and check that out, tetherednation.com. Also, before we get into this episode, I wanted to remind you guys that you can use the code SOUTHERNGROUND, all lowercase, all one word, at the ScreeGear.com store. Um, ScreeGear.com is, uh, or, or not not ScreeGear.com, ScreeGear is, uh, is a uh, technical hunting apparel company that I have grown to love. Um, I've got a full closet of their stuff from early season all the way to the coldest of the cold that I will ever experience here in the South. And, uh, and so I'm actually, uh, been planning this week, been planning a trip to Missouri and, uh, in late November around Thanksgiving. And I am super looking forward to put this, putting this stuff to the test there in Missouri during some colder weather than what I get down here in Alabama. And so, yeah, I just wanted to, to remind you guys about that. If you're looking for some new hunting clothing, um, that works, check out screegear.com and, uh, I do not think you'll be disappointed. All right, guys, that's going to be it for the announcement portion of this podcast. Let's get into this episode with Mr. Reese Johnson. All right, everybody on the line with us right now, we have, uh, Mr. Reese Johnson from Kentucky. Reese, how's it going, buddy? I doing fine. Awesome, dude. Well, it looks like uh, there in the background, you've uh, we could probably just do this podcast. You just tell the stories of each of those deer, and people probably be interested in it. Yeah, <laughs> those are my prized possessions, as you can see. They're hanging there in the living room. Yeah, those are each two deer from each of the last uh, two seasons. That's awesome. Well, so uh, I got in contact with you from uh, a buddy of mine named Hunter Lindsay. Um, and I think I was probably following you on Instagram before I met Hunter, but through getting to know Hunter and hunting with Hunter and, you know, fishing and, you know, we hang out pretty good. He, uh, he lives not too far from me and I knew that he was, uh, he was good buddies with you. And so that's how I started kind of real, really following you and watching kind of your success throughout the past couple of seasons. And it has been pretty freaking cool man like you've had a, a solid couple of seasons um and aside from that aside from the stuff you've actually killed um i, I watched the stuff that you post during like shed when you're shed hunting uh pull up that pull up that deadhead for the people who are watching it um if you don't mind there's a pretty gnarly deadhead that you found see that is insane did you score that uh, no, he's probably high 50s, low 60s. Yeah, he's a that's a cool-looking deer. But so I've watched all that kind of stuff. And so when I reached out to you the other day, um, asked you if you wanted to come on the podcast, uh, we talked about – I was like, tell me one thing that you are uh, – that you feel like makes you a better deer hunter. And uh, you said that that is just being driven. And so I want to talk about that, break that down, break down the way that you hunt and the style, the way that you scout from the end of season until um, now. But first, before we get into that, just tell us a little bit a little bit about yourself. What do you do for a living, um, where you live, and kind of how you got started being a hardcore whitetail hunter? Sure. So uh, I live in Paducah, Kentucky, you know, in the western portion of the state. Um, been here for 14, 15 years now. We've 
traveled, bounced around a lot with my dad's job as I was younger. I've lived in Georgia, Mississippi, Arkansas, Missouri, um, several different states. Um, we finally ended here in 05 or 06, and we've been here ever since. Um, so I really like this part of the world um, after doing that. Um, my dad manages National Wildlife Refuge. And so he went to uh, Mississippi State, uh, got a wildlife biology degree from the, from the deer guys down there. You know, and so growing up doing that, it's was, it was been just all in all the time. Wildlife in general, wood storks, alligators, sea turtles, migratory songbirds, you know, you name it. I've been around it, seen it, done it. Um, and so I, you know, I enjoyed every second of that. And that's kind of where my passion and love for the outdoors comes from. Um, you know, and then as far as the whitetail hunting goes, you know, my dad was big into it. He had me literally tied to him in a safety harness packing me up a tree at age four to sit in the lock on. And I remember that vividly. And so, you know, but the other thing is, you know, I've had literally a walking deer encyclopedia right next to me my entire life. So having that handy has, has gotten me started earlier than most and gotten me further. Uh, so that's, that's kind of what, where it started. And then I feel like I've been able to take it to the next level after, you know, working off of his success and, and his trials and learning and so on from there. And then now I'm kind of out doing my own and, and it's been a really good run these last few years now that I've kind of gotten you know, out of school, established, working, doing that sort of thing. Yeah. And so, and so you do a lot of, you do a lot of like uh, land realty, like selling different pieces so of property. So I'm a licensed real estate broker in uh, Kentucky and Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee should be any day now. I'm waiting on them to put those papers through, but that's what I do full time. Um, houses, commercial hunting farms is my specialty recreational ground that's what I know about. That's what I've dealt with uh, my entire life. And so that's what I know about. And I tell you what, I absolutely love that job. Um, there's nothing else I don't, there's nothing else I don't really think I'd rather be doing. Um, just because I'm outside all day, if I want to be, I can go hunting if I want to be. Now it comes with its own challenges and I've got to deal with people and, you know, a lot of other outside things that make it tough. But, but I, I do thoroughly enjoy it. Um, that gives me a pretty flexible schedule to do what I want to do. And that is my favorite part. So that's how I'm one reason yeah. I'm out of the woods so much. Yeah. So, so tell me this, it, that seems like a, uh, a dream for a lot of people to be able to um, basically be in the woods <laughs> and you're looking at different properties. And um, I mean, really for a hunting farm, you're, you're really scouting pieces of property. I would imagine um, to be able to, kind of put a price tag on certain pieces of land. Would you say that that has helped you um, kind of develop a, uh, a, a list of strategies, I guess, for how you hunt? Would you say that your job um, has helped you in that? Um, I would say a little bit, not, not a ton, but I do definitely get to see a lot of different pieces. I get to see the, uh, what, get to see how they're set up from different various owners. Sometimes you can tell they're more serious than others. Sometimes you're, I mean, they are, you know, manicured well, and you can kind of see and work off that. You can talk to this landowner. Then you take potential buyers out there, and then you get to walk, you know, especially if they're serious, you know, you get to walk them over 100, 200, 300 acres, and then, you know, they're, you know, if you're going to buy and invest that kind of money, you're going to want to see every square inch of that place. So you're going to walk it, and we're going to see it together, and we're going to look for sign, we're going to look for rub, we're going to look for scrapes, you know, see if we can pick up any sheds, whatever. I mean, we're going to be doing all that sort of stuff. So it is, it is neat. Um, it is a dream job, and being able to make that work, um, 
the flip side to it, the downside is that, you know, this is a commission only gig. So if you're not selling, you're not getting paid. If you're not working, you're not getting paid. And so, you know, there's no guaranteed, no direct deposit over two weeks. You, and so that it's a very tough go and it's not for everybody, but if you can stay at it and you're driven and you work hard and, you know, it, it came very naturally for me just because being around a wildlife manager all the time, you know, that stuff was just ingrained and it came easy. And then I've been able to expand on that and turn it into a, a business. And, and I love every single day of it. So when you, so when you, uh, take on a new property or, or you, you list a new property for sale, has there ever been properties that have come up where they didn't sell and you actually got to hunt it that year? Not as often as people would think. Yeah. Um, I've never just do, I could probably maybe try to, do that more often but i really feel like it's a conflict of interest and i just do my best to not take advantage of folks in, in that kind of way i'd rather i'd rather just have their business and, and be you know take a, refer, a reference or referral from them and do a good job sure. uh, and then either you know I, I have had folks say hey i want to you know i would like to lease it out or this that and the other and then i'm gladly pass that along to other folks so that i know or something but that's that's rare it doesn't happen as often as you think and truthfully when it comes to running trail cameras or or doing that on a property. If you're doing your job as an agent, somebody calls and says, hey, I want to sell that farm. Well, your job's to get it sold as fast as possible for the most money. And if you're hunting it and taking that time and then waiting on November, because these tanks come up various, various times throughout the year, you're not doing your job and not doing it well if you're hanging on waiting through deer season. So you want to get them sold as fast as possible. So it doesn't happen as much as you would like to think. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about this. So, um, so you, you've got a history in, in wildlife. Uh, your dad has been in that. And I like the way you said it. He's basically been, you've had a walking encyclopedia, deer encyclopedia uh, for the majority of your life. Um, when did it like click for you? Um, obviously you've been super successful uh, killing big bucks, not just bucks, not just killing deer, but killing really, really good ones. When did that click for you? Like, when did you finally feel like, okay, I've got a good, um, I've got a good, I guess, understanding of mature bucks and how they move and how they operate and how I'm going to hunt them. When did that first start happening for you? It's definitely been within the last two years. And a part of that's become, you know, when I was younger, I was pretty much doing what dad said and how we needed to do it, which understandably so when you got a 14, 15, 16 year old running around, you know, you pretty much just tell him to sit still, don't move and don't mess anything up because we're all hunting here and hunting together, whatever. And so the last couple of years, one, I finally kind of got, got out of college, which I played ball for four years. So that kept me running, um, which I got married and had kids. So that kind of, until we kind of got settled in. And the last two years is when life has finally kind of stabled out for me. We haven't moved. We got settled with, with jobs and kids and we know everything kind of. So it's really the last two years I've been able to start taking off, taking trips, doing some things like that. And it's, um, it's been awesome. I've tagged five in the last two seasons, um, and I've got three, two or three more trips lined up this year. I'm leaving in 13 days, I think, for Antelope in Nebraska. I'm going to try to roll that into a public land deer hunt if we tag out early enough. It's just, just an option that's there if we don't, but Antelope yeah. one time. Uh, I drew Iowa this year, year five of putting in, so I've got an Iowa archery tag. So I've got that to focus on. Um, I did get drawn for a quota hunt. Um, and then my Kentucky state tag. So I've got potentially four buck tags uh, to run with this year. That's awesome. So a couple of years ago is when it all kind of clicked for you and you felt like you were able to, to get a good grasp on uh, 
um, how to go about killing big bucks in the air. Tell me, tell me how that happened. Like what were the things that you realized that, that maybe were the most important aspects to your success? Well, it was about that point. I was really able to start spending time in the woods and uh, just being out there running those cameras, scouting, you know, planting those plots, doing the things that I hadn't previously been able to dedicate much time to, you know, four years in college, I was gone at school six hours from home and I was only coming home on Thanksgiving and Christmas. So my falls were basically shot and I get to hunt for a few days in Thanksgiving, on Thanksgiving break and a few days at Christmas break. So it really didn't work out. Um, and then once I got established in real estate, I was able to kind of really work, really work for myself the way I wanted to, mm -hmm. to take that time, grow on it. And, um, so it just being able to put in more time, do that homework, research, plan, prep, which, you know, I've been doing all summer and winter now, cause it's just, it's the one thing that gets me going. It's just big deer. I just can't, that's just the one thing um, that just gets me excited. I mean, there's nothing else left. Uh, ball's done, everything's like that. So, so here we are. And this is my number one focus. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about, you, you kind of mentioned to me a little bit before we started recording, um, you know, you were, you were hunting a lot of private land, obviously the nature of your job, it, it brings you in contact with that uh, a lot more. And you live in a state where, um, you know, from what I know about Kentucky, at least there's, there's, opportunities to be able to hunt on private land there's a lot of farmland um and things like that but the thing that you said to me that really stuck out was you felt like the bigger deer you you want to chase the bigger deer and it seemed like you were finding bigger deer on public land kind of break that down for me so that that is essentially the way i intend to hunt is i'm gonna find the biggest deer i can find it doesn't matter where it's at private public whatever i have to do and then I'm going to set my sights on that one individual deer, and then I'm going to spend all year chasing him, which is what I've done the last three years. Uh, two of the three years, I was able to track that deer down. Um, the, other, the other year, the neighbor ended up shooting that deer. Um, and he didn't know that deer was there, one of those things, you know. Uh, but I had had like three or four encounters with him, encounters with him with a bow and just couldn't get him in range. Um, but it was a very neat story. That was a deer that we had three, four, and he was – you know, two, three, and four, he was four years old. He scored 163. Um, so uh, they ended up shooting him during gun season. But, you know, I had all those encounters. I put in a lot of time chasing that deer. There were some wild stories that went with that. It just didn't go in my favor. Uh, the deer behind me, you know, was a deer that was also there last year. I didn't feel like I could kill him last year. And I was also targeting that other deer. And so uh, this past season, he was five. Um, and he's started showing up and I truly think he became the dominant buck started spending more time on our farm and you know the camera said he had been there four or five times in the last 10 days right during the peak of the rut and I had not been hunting that deer I'd been hunting a different deer because I thought the other deer was more killable uh, he was also mature he was very neat he had like eight or ten inch brow times but wouldn't score worth anything um so I had been chasing that deer had multiple encounters because I really didn't think I could get this deer based off previous history the year before he had been there, he was he was a summer deer on us. He summer. He came back November second, you know, as they say they do, coming back check for those during that in their summer range, and he's gone. November second was it, nothing. Uh, and he shows back up in July, and he's even bigger. Mm -hmm. Here we go again. Um, anyways, in November, after not giving it any thought, thinking I'm wasting my time, I go in there and check it. And he's on that camera the whole first week of November, and I'm thinking, you know, why was I not here? So I went there and. Uh, Right after that, as soon as I could get back up there and hunted him, and on the second hunt, 
he came out chasing a doe. And so uh, I was able to tag him last year. Uh, he was a five-year-old, uh, which is, uh, I guess it would be second. It's right, probably my probably my biggest Kentucky deer. Um, but that deer meant a lot to me just from the history chasing him. Um, and so so that's kind of, but yeah, I'm going to target the biggest deer I can find. Um, sometimes it's on public, sometimes it's on private. And that goes back and forth. I've got cameras everywhere. I'm running about 70 cameras right now total. So just, and they're scattered. I've got half and half. So I've got permission farms. We've got leases. Uh, we bought our first small farm this April. Uh, not real big, but I knew it laid in, in a good spot to catch good deer coming through. Uh, the numbers were right. Everything made sense. So we bought it. We set it up for deer hunting. We've got three stands out there, a couple cameras, and we've already got a couple nice three-year-olds on the place. And I don't know whether we're going to get anything that's going to interest me, but my goal is to find that biggest deer, learn as much as I can, and dedicate my season to him. So when you do that, um, you know, we, we had Bobby Worthington on the show the last three weeks um, uh, towards the end of our local legend series. When you do that, he talks a lot about, you know, especially targeting a specific deer um, staying out of the staying out of that area until he's the most killable, which would be during the rut. Is that something that you're doing or are you basically using every bit of the season that you possibly can? I'm using every bit of the season as I can up until getting real close to now. I mean, I've been running cameras hard. I walk a lot during shed season, a lot during the winter. You can find – and that is my favorite time to learn. Go in there after season, the leaves are off. You can really see the lay of the land. You can see the trails. You can see the scrapes. You can see the rubs. You know, you put that together, and then you get on your onyx, and you, you know, you pin it. And then you learn as much as you can. And then – so when this summer came around – it's time to go back in there. So I knew right where I had, I had already counted how many cameras I wanted to put out, what I wanted to know and where they needed to be. And it wasn't like, you know, summertime you go back in there and like, that scrape's a little harder to find. Those rubs are not as easy to see. And you're looking at or those, even the trails. And so you're looking for those things. Like, where are they? And so, you know, you go back in there uh, to those pins that you've already gotten. You know, I set this for a reason. This was what I told myself I'm going to put it here. And so, um, but yeah, it's about time to start getting out, but I have been hard at it, learning every little thing I can, tweaking, adjusting cameras, walking every square inch of where I think he could possibly go. Um, and so I'm at that point now where they need to, I'm probably not going to go back in there and bother that deer. If I can absolutely help it, um, I'll probably do one more pull September-ish. Um, and then, and then, yeah. Hunting him, <clears throat> I'm unsure exactly how, you know, you want to go about it. It's kind of those things you want to you want to get there before the other hunters potentially do, but you know he's also most killable during the rut. But then you're going to have an influx of hunters potentially coming, and yeah. so you kind of got to weigh those things and balance balance that out. And so I'm probably going to sit around and check those cameras sparingly as much as I can control myself, and then look for those right weather fronts for those spots I have already pinned and in my head. And then if I feel like I can make a move in September, which I guarantee you I will try to chase that deer early. <clears throat> and if I bump him, I'm okay with that. You know, it's one of those things. Yeah. If, I, if I tried, then I can sit back, stay out two, three weeks, wait for the next front, or hold off to the right entirely. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, you know, that's been one of the things that I've been kind of going back and forth with, um, especially doing most of my hunting on public land um, you know, and listening to, uh, a lot of the feedback that we got from those episodes from people talking about, you know, well, I can't do that. In my I can't stay out of there until the rut in my area because somebody else is going to go in there. So I feel like I've got to be aggressive as soon as I possibly can. And I understand that. 
And I think a lot of people understand that. I don't, I don't think anybody's, you know, really like saying, no, that's stupid. Um, but it also, you know, for me, like I have a lot of areas that I can go into and I know 100% that nobody is going to be back up in there by walking. Um, if somebody goes in there, it's going to have to be with a boat. And I see very few people doing that. So I can feel pretty confident that I can go in to a, an area and not pressure the deer in that area. Um, and so I'll save my those opinion, spots. Go my ahead. Opinion, you have to wait. If you know and you've scouted and you've done the research and you can get in there on that deer earlier than the rut, then you should be in there. You should yeah. be aggressive. I, I think most deer hunters are too timid, truthfully. Um, and, and, that can, and I can, I can even talk myself out of doing things more often than not. But I would rather go down giving it every chance I got and every chance I could go, you know, pl smart, but still getting there as much as possible to hunt that deer rather than waiting on him to get in the rut, pick up with a doe and be two miles away. And somebody who never even knew the deer was there, you know, shoots him. And that's just the nature of the game. So I would take my chances, especially, you know, you put in all this work to figure out where he's bad and run these cameras or not. If the time is right, the wind is right, weather's right, go get in there and be aggressive. It's September, October, whenever you can. Yeah. And you, and you have the, you have the ability, a pretty cool opportunity there where you live in Kentucky, where you can actually hunt him that early season um, when he's on a summer pattern in a lot of places uh, because the season opens up earlier before the velvet shed. And that's a pretty, that's a pretty cool opportunity. Is that something for you that you have found valuable or um, do you just not really even pay much attention to the velvet hunt? Personally, I don't pay much attention to it. Um, I've always said that if I had a, a giant that was on a pattern, I'd consider hunting in velvet, but that would pretty much be it. And, and most of the farms, just the way it happens to be, between the permission, the lease, whatever we have ability to hunt, they don't set up well for summer. They don't have summer crop patterns, whatnot. Not your typical what you see on TV, corn of a bean field with, with a corn pile hidden in the, hidden in the beans and the, you know, Bella Buck walks out. That just doesn't happen um, as often as people would like to think. I mean, I know that's what Kentucky's known for, but that is just not what you, plus, you know, the good and the bad about Kentucky is you get one buck tag. And I just would rather wait till it feels like deer season, honestly, than being out there September 1st, 2nd, 5th, whatever it's going to be. Yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense. I mean, some people, I, I've met a lot of people who are like, I really don't care about shoot one in velvet. It doesn't, doesn't get me going. You know, I've, I've met a lot of people like that. And, uh, and I can understand that. I mean, here in Alabama, we have a pretty liberal um, tags. Like, we can kill three bucks. And uh, so if, if I wanted to shoot one on opening day in October, I've still got two more buck tags left that I can, you know, I can wait. Like, for you, that's just not necessarily the case. Like, you may not reach your full potential unless you've got one, the target buck that you're going after that you know, like, he's going to be right here. He's doing it every single day. Um, and and I know I can kill him on opening day. I'm staying out. It doesn't matter. And that's, just, you know, velvet, no velvet, whatever. If it's not right, you know, I'm not going in there. But it's just one of those things. At that point, you can start thinking about it. Okay, can I go in? Was there, was there rain? Was, was there front? What not? Can I, can I make a move or not? But you just have a longer opportunity to, to, to do it. But, yeah, if I feel that much, then it becomes like, even if I shoot a buck in October, it's like, well, I can't sit here in the rut and not do anything. I, I'll go crazy. So then it becomes, I've got to, okay, who, who, what buddies will, uh, can I, you know, bum a hunt off of, or what states can I, 
round up a, a, a quick public land trip too and, and all that kind of good stuff. So that's what that becomes. So having a one buck state limit is um, it's good and bad both. So when you, when you come to targeting a specific deer, is there a time of the year for you that's been the most productive? Summer. Uh, I mean, I mean, <laughs> I mean, killing it, like actually killing him, like a time, a time of the year when you've gone in. I'll say no, because my dates have varied. I and mean, if you really look at it, uh, last, last year I killed three, three deer, November 4th, November 16th and November 22nd. Uh, the year before it was one in December, one um, was the second day of gun season. So there's really nothing I could say as specific dates other than just looking for that that right opportunity um, to go in there. But my big thing is learning as much as you can, figuring out, even if, you know, I said learning in summer, but you know, you also have to remember that that deer is likely to shift in fall and winter range. And so even if you can locate that deer now, you've got to be thinking, all right, where's this deer going to go? If I, and the thing about it is people are too timid to get in there and walk and to learn. And right now, so, if, if my target buck is here and I know he's here right now, well, he's not probably not going to be there in October, but where could he go? Mm -hmm. So, you know, you, you, you drop that pin, you draw yourself a three mile radius and you start walking and you start looking for that old sign for that big rub for that, you know, it's, it's, if you know, those loaded acorn trees or those beds, you know, you figure out where that deer's going to go, that coverage going to be when things change. And that's how you stay ahead of the game. And, and then you make a move on it later based off of, you know, so, so you said like basically a three mile radius. Is that, is that kind of like an average that you've seen personally? Um, safely, uh, safely. I, I, I would want to walk every, if I know a big box living in a specific spot and, and not everybody can do that on private. You know, if, if a deer's living, for example, the deer that I killed last year, he would only frequent one plot and one camera, which limited my ability to hunt him. The previous two deer, the one I killed and then the one I didn't kill at the neighbor shot, those deer were core deer that, would frequent four, five, six cameras, and I just would have to pick, and then it would eat me up because I'd be one day I check the camera or check, you know, I hunt this stand, I check the camera, he was at the other plot, or he was at the other, and it, you just, and it, it'll uh, it'll wear you down uh, when you're when you're playing like that. But that particular deer, he was on on private, you know, I was limited. I had one stand, one camera, that was it, set up just for him, and uh, you know, it just happened to work out that time that when that camera said he had been there that often, and my access was good, my wind was good, I knew it, I went there and was prepared to hunt him as long as I had that wind as much as possible because he was starting to frequent that area for that time frame. Now those patterns are going to shift, but that first, uh, well, it was November like 10th through 17th or something because I killed him on the 16th or it was, it ended the 16th, but he was from November 7th to November 16th. He was in there hard, uh, which he hadn't done the previous year, but that's what that, I was able to learn from that. And then I was in there as soon as I figured it out. And then I was able to capitalize. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, I wouldn't think on average, and I even asked a, a pretty a reputable guy uh, this morning what his opinion was on a transition, you know, on, on big public, you know, and he says about a mile. You know, he thinks 60, 60 to 70% of deer are going to go about a mile. Uh, some are going to go farther. But I want to know what everything looks like within a three mile. I'm going to find, and this is just assuming I don't know anything, I want to find that best potential spot and anticipate that he's going to go there or could go there and who knows he might stay there you know there are deer that summer and winter in the same spot and then there are deer that you know i um, forget who it was but who talked about have the winter and the summer ranges being five and ten miles apart mm -hmm. so you really don't know deer are different their personalities are different um and you just got to learn as much as you can about that particular 
uh, individual, and that is the challenge. Yeah, and so you're doing a lot of that. Um, I've heard you say two different things, and and I know that the, I know it's on purpose. I don't think you're contradicting yourself, but you do a lot of your scouting and whatnot during the winter, basically when the the leaves are still off the trees before green up. But the most important time for you in killing and preparing to kill that big that big target buck is going to be in the summertime, is what you said, I believe. Um, well, tell me gonna, about that. The winter is going to give me those sheds. It's going to provide that sign. But things change year to year, and and while it might just be slightly, you know, that most recent information is going to ultimately be what you work off of. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this, Reese. You, you're, you talked about sheds. Um, when you find sheds in the wintertime, is that what you're using to kind of help you um, decide where he shifted to um, from summer to fall and winter, or it kind of makes it – narrows down an area where he might do his winter at it definitely can help so there are deer that i have sheds to um that i now have on camera this summer and some of them are right where you anticipate them to be and some of them are not on cameras you anticipate them to be but if you can get a winter piece and a summer piece it's every bit of information matters so if you know he's over here now and he's over there then well then okay you just put the dot in the middle and that's your radius you know, you don't have to say if, if you just have a shed, you know, you only have so much information. If you have pictures too, and, or any bit of information or even a sighting, let's say you saw him stand on the side of the road or you saw him crossing the road, you saw him, you know, whatever it may be, every bit of information matters. And especially when you're on big public. And so you're able to take that and then study the map and say, okay, I know he was here. I know he was here. What, what funnel, what saddle, what transition point can I catch him on? Is there, is there a bedding area that I know about within a two mile radius that he could be in? And then you kind of got to, you know, infer that and then decide what you want to do and what your move is. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I see where guys um, might tune out who are uh, a lot of people that maybe like I, me personally, I don't, I hardly ever target a specific deer. Um, but a lot of people really enjoy targeting a specific bug, especially guys who are running a lot of cameras and, um, and really getting good intel on their area. And so, you know, I, I think, I think it's important to narrow this part down to that. Like that would not necessarily be even a thought process for a guy maybe hunting an out-of-state hunt for a week, you know. Right. And so, I'm going to ask you that here in just a, in a little bit how you would do that because I know that's something that you've done and you've done uh, pretty successfully, I believe. And so, um, but but going back to targeting a specific buck, I kind of interrupted you on sheds. But you're trying to find that that radius, and the sheds are helping you do that. What you're learning in the summer is is the other piece of the puzzle. So tell us about that a little bit more. So, like I said, you put those two things together, and and let's just say uh, the deer I'm targeting this year, you know, there's 20 and 30 cameras in that three mile radius. I mean, I'm covering every exit I can cover, and every theoretically in my mind, if he's going over here, if he's going over there, how can I? anticipate his next move and be ahead of him be it september october november if he frequents over here now and he goes over there then you know let's say i may not kill him early and he's around and i know that in, in december well then i can know what he maybe his winter range is going to be and so on the flip side of that i'll go ahead and go right into the the guys that may not be targeting a specific deer winter time is still your best friend you find the best sign then and you see it and let's just say 
and, and I'm anticipating this in my life. I have two kids now. I'm anticipating having less time as my business grows, as my kids grow. <laughs> yeah. I'm, taking, I'm anticipating having less time. So let's just say I'm not able to run 70, 50, 70 cameras, whatever I'm doing now. I'm still going to know that public land or that private land like the back of my hand. And if I have to show up Eberhardt style the day of the rut and get on that right funnel, that right pinch point that I found when I was targeting a specific deer, or let's just say I'm shed hunting a brand new area and I find that sign, well, I may not hunt that next year. But, or, you know, or my, who knows, I might even have a friend come to town. I might need to say, hey, this, I never, I never, I don't know what's over there. This is a killer spot. And those spots are going to hold true in public land for the majority of your life. There's going to be things change. They're going to clear cut. There's going to be some tornadoes. There's going to be natural, whatever, that creates some different. Um, but for the majority of it, those terrain features that those deer are going to follow hold true. And I could come back 10 years from now. If I moved away and came back, I could still hunt that same spot. So that is the good or the, that is the benefit of living or having a specific piece of public land that you live near that you want to target um, and being able to put in those miles. And that's the thing. I hear so many people, in my opinion, are too scared to go in there. I mean, if, if I've got three hours in the afternoon, or if I've got a half a day off, or it's a Saturday and it's raining, I love to go in the rain. I'm out there every second I can get because every bit of little information, whether, whether it has to do with my target buck or not, I could be, you know, on a completely different public land piece that I may not touch for, you know, two or three years. <clears throat> or who knows, I might go there and find sound that I love. So every bit of information, every bit of time you can spend in the woods is valuable and time is valuable in general. And I, the number one thing I hear is, well, I don't have time to go hunt. It's my time to scout. And there's understandably so life happens and you, and you have your responsibilities and your priorities. But, you know, if truly, and I'm talking to the, to the 1% here that, that are probably listening to this podcast, not many, but the 1% that care about this, you know, big deer hunting and specifically and, and just love it in general like we do, then you're going to find that time. And that, and that can be even simply as driving around after work, looking for deer from the roads, from the fields, even in big wood settings, you can find them crossing there. And here's the thing, take note to where deer cross. Even if it's a doe, even if it's a small buck, there's a reason that they're there. And especially if you see it over and over and over, and it might not do you any good now, but that's a might be a spot during the rut. You know, I mean, there's, so there's just, I just feel like a lot of folks could do more. And, and, I, and I think part of that's because they're scared they're going to bump deer unnecessarily. Yeah, I, I, I find myself, um, I, or I found myself more like that uh, several years ago. Um, because you always, you always hear, like, if you're part of Facebook groups and stuff, people are always like, I bumped a deer on my way in. Is it even worth hunting? You know, like, people say stupid crap like that. But the reality is when you don't know, like when you do that, you're like, Oh crap. You know, I just blew every deer out of here. And even now, um, being more seasoned, like I, I still, when I jump a deer or whatever, walking in, I'm like, crap, I was too aggressive. Um, but you know, uh, uh, Andy may, um, talks about, you know, that's how he learned how aggressive he can actually be, um, is by pushing the envelope a little bit and bumping a lot of deer and that eventually teaches you, okay, here's, I don't, I don't, my goal is not to bump these deer. My goal is to be as aggressive as I can without bumping deer. And so, you know, pushing that envelope and maybe, maybe going a little bit deeper than what you feel safe doing 
can really teach you a whole lot in the long run, which it sounds like that's kind of what you, what you talk about. Every moment that you spend in the woods, it teaches you something. Um, I, I don't feel like I've done anything, anything good if I leave the woods and I didn't learn something. Like, it, it doesn't have to be anything big. Maybe it's just like, oh, here's another trail that I, that I found out about. Or, oh, this, this little funnel lays out a whole lot different than it looks on the map. Like, you, if you go in the woods for an hour, you're going to figure that kind of stuff out. And that kind of, is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah. I mean, like I said, every bit, every second you can spend, and you should be, you know, my Onyx looks like a three-year-old took two crayons and just scribbled it up because it's orange, blue, red, pink. It's just checkered. <laughs> But, you know, I don't know what day I'll need that. It might be five years from now. But if, if let's just say, let's just say I'm driving down the road and I see the biggest I've ever seen standing on the side of the road. If I've walked that area, no sign or sign, well, guess what? I've got, okay, well, I know there's a, you know, there was a scrape here. There was a, you know, a trail there. And I know this train, I've walked it maybe just once. And that's it. Because, you know, they're going to move. They move a lot. And so, you know, that, that happens. And, you know, private limits you. And I, I know a lot of these guys are, are probably public land hunters but and so when you can move on public uh, and the deer know that too that and, and that's the thing you can stay out of there and i know you were even talking about earlier your spots that you know you feel like nobody pressures but there's so much random phenomenon between between um, bicycles and squirrel hunters and coyotes you know, dogs coyotes. people think there's like I mean, you could stay out for, for a week and there might have been three people and they're just doing and not hunting at all. Yeah. But they get used to that. They know those things. Yeah. And so I've, the other thing I've learned is I think a lot of folks are overlooking, overlooking deer in general. Mm-hmm. There are deer, and I know Infault talks about this a lot, but there are deer very close to highways and very close to roads and parking lots. And it is unbelievable the deer beds I have found just simply overlooking a road because there's only so many access points and they know that you're going to come in there by vehicle. They're not, they know that it, you know, they do not anticipate somebody parking and walking half a mile and then diving in and hunting 200 yards from the road. They anticipate you parking and then going in. And so that's another thing. I've got some cameras very close to roads that have been very productive. Um, but they're not, not all of them, but they have, but it's on those right terrain features. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's another really good way to keep keep learning and, and keep a check on um, on deer in general or what they're doing without having a maximum impact. You can put um, cameras close to roads, you know, people. And that's another thing. A lot of hunters think, "Well, I got to I got to go. I got to go back there." You know, there's a lot of folks that overlook that, and the deer have learned that they can be right there close oversee everything and know what they're going to do in the afternoon. If they heard somebody drive down that road, they may just lay there till dark. If they didn't hear anybody, they, they're pro- they probably know they're, they know they're probably safe. Mm-hmm. And, and I think they know those things. Yeah. I, I think that, that, that kind of stuff offers a huge advantage for deer. Um, and like, I kind of always look at it like this. So me personally, what's the biggest deer I've ever seen? Uh, like the biggest free range deer I've ever seen. Well, you could probably talk to most people and it's probably somewhere that they were driving. They probably saw it off the side of the road somewhere, not while they were hunting. Otherwise it would be 
more than likely for a lot of people would be the biggest deer they ever killed. But the biggest deer that people have ever seen in their life, you could ask a lot of guys and it's going to be, Oh, I was driving to whatever. And I saw it in a field off the, off the side of the road, um, which basically proves that point that, um, I mean, they're used to this stuff. They're used, you, you got the, the seek one guys that are hunting in uh, urban Atlanta. They eventually, they get, they, they adapt to their surroundings. And, um, and so, you know, I, I know a lot of people who, uh, my, my buddy, Jared Shaver, he works for tethered, uh, in Kentucky last year while we were hunting, he saw, he pulled into the parking lot one morning. He saw a buck in the gravel parking lot, buck walked into the woods and just went a little ways in there. And he was like, huh? So that, that afternoon after he hunted that morning, he went into there into where that buck went, found some bedding areas, ended up killing that buck that, that afternoon. Um, literally like 30 yards off the road, um, off the parking area. It, I mean, it was insane. Um, but it just goes to show like I'd been busting my butt getting back deep and using my kayak and going all over the place in the same area. And he just walks 30 yards off the road. Um, because he, because he put that, that bit of information together. And so, you know, I think, I think the stuff that you're saying is spot on, you know, it's, it's nothing that a lot of guys don't haven't already heard, but it's just good to uh, drive it home again, even. So um, uh, I'm going to ask you this one, one time really quick. Um, if there was one scenario for you that you felt like has proven itself and worked the most, just as far as spots where you ended up killing a target buck, um, and, and, and think in terms of like a food source or a, uh, a pinch point or something like that. Is there one thing that you have noticed that this seems to be the more likely area that you're going to get a shot off? On private land, I teach, I, you know, we, we attack that a little differently. Um, typically we're going to be hunting a food plot where I've had pictures and where a, a, scra a mock scrape that I'll set up and I know that deer's there and I know I can most likely protect that deer or hope he's getting through so I won't be as aggressive. And so those stands have been in play for likely years and years. Um, when I'm going to public land, I'm really looking for saddles. Um, this, you know, that's really the feature that has done me well. Um, it's where I shot that buck. It was uh, two years ago um, on public land, it was a saddle. He was being, it was a quota hunt. He was being pushed. He come right up and over. And I was just sitting there, you know, beautifully so. Um, and that was an area, you know, just like, which I haven't gone into this, when I'm going to Iowa, but that was an area I hadn't been in either. But when I'm going to Iowa this year, in my opinion, if you're not there and you don't have time to scout and you're going on a trip, it's all about the hot sun, which I think has been beat down. I think everybody knows that. But if I'm going in there, when the day one, I get to Iowa, I'm going to hunt public. Uh, that's my plan. I'm going to get there. I'm going to take off and go read the sign the best I can. I'm going to cover as much ground as I can. I'm going to drive around, look, see where everybody else is, and then develop my plan around that. And so, you know, every situation's different. Every hunt's different. Um, if I'm, if I'm out of state, or if I'm on a trip, uh, which, you know, in that case, um, the sign was not on that saddle, but the way that that hunt laid out, I was actually uh, a mile, a mile and a half deep. I went way past most other folks and it was getting closer to dark and I was hunting all day. Well, every hour I would get up 
and I would scout slash hunt my way out. And because I knew closer to dark and you have to be out by a certain time. So the further I'd get back in there, I couldn't get a deer drug out. And so every hour I would calculate or hour and a half, I, I would get up and scout and I'd find a good spot and I'd sit. And I was working my way out to dark and I found that saddle and that was where I was, I was close enough to the truck, six, 800 yards, that I was going to sit there until dark. And it was just so happy. It was like two o'clock in the afternoon. And I mean, I was, I was, you know, I was right where I needed to be. And I said, I was determined to sit there. And it wasn't 30 minutes after I sat there. And that deer is a, uh, that's a 150s deer. Um, and that just, just where that happened to work out. Um, and that was one of the neatest, you know, seeing him come up out of that big drain and pop up. Uh, it was one of the coolest sights, um, you know, and that was public land deer too. Yeah. So, so you're, you're looking for a lot of those, like, uh, funnels, pinch points, saddles, that type of stuff, more so than, um, you know, more so than food sources 100%. or, or anything like that. The folks that are going to listen to this are, are, are probably on that same mindset, but the general majority of people that are not listening to this and not learning 24 seven are going to run to the fields. If there are any, all the human sign I find is around fields, um, or within a proximity of, and so, I don't want to be anywhere near other people if I can help it. And the deer don't either. They know that. So, you know, I'm trying to find those terrain features that are be it half a mile, a mile, two miles away, um, especially during the rut where it's like, okay, I could sit right here and literally see no telling what because they're going to be coming from, we know there's a major food source way over here. We know there's a major food source way over here. There's bedding over here. And I've, I've got all these things in my head because I've seen it. Um, mm-hmm. Whether it's somewhere I hunt a lot or somewhere that I go to, you know, I'd much rather find that type of situation and a scraper rubbed a match and set up right there. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Uh, and, and and I totally, it seems like there's a lot of people, uh, there's a lot of people that are in your scenario killing um, big mature bucks who would say the same thing. Um, now, a lot of people who kill bucks, maybe not the quality that you're talking about or um, you know, some of the more recent guests that we've had, maybe not that type quality, but I'm putting together that this is the pretty much the, the standard um, for guys who are hunting mature deer is food sources are great and they're not, it's not that it's bad. And it's not to say you can't kill a big buck off of a food source, um, especially early season. You got acorns dropping and stuff like that, um, that, that, that doesn't mean that, but it seems like consistently these terrain features seem to be the ones that guys are really going in and tearing it up. Um, that's what I, you know, I'm going to target and, and those, those better ones are, you know, and I've got same thing goes for my cameras. You know, you put them in there, you let them soak. And I know guys that do it for, leave them for a year, for six months. And sometimes you, know, you get busy in the season and you check it later or whatnot. And, and that's, ex- that's exactly what I'm seeking out. Um, and like I said, that's one of those things where, and you listen to the old, the old timers who talk about these things who didn't have cameras, they would find those spots that traditionally are just very good. And they would have 10, 20, 30, 40 of them, be it presets or whatever. And they would go in there and hunt those features year after year. And that's how they consistently kill big deer because that's where the big deer are going to be. Yeah. That makes perfect sense, man. Well, dude, like, I feel like we, I feel like we just started talking uh, but we've covered a ton of information right here. I feel like, you know, um, talking about just how you scout, how you target, how you would even 
so much as how you would break down a piece that maybe you're not targeting a specific deer, but how you would go about hunting that in the first place. So Reese, before, um, before we go, can you tell us one thing, if you, if you could tell somebody, this is how you can right now go out and do this and be more successful. Um, one thing that, that they could do, what would that be? Go outside, just go out there, walk it, learn every scratch of it, write everything down, whether you want to do it, whether you have a physical map or you have something like Onyx, mark everything, mark every scrape you find, every trail you find, side hill, saddle, uh, creek crossing, whatever it is, whatever's going to limit those deer, which, you know, going back to, you know, Bobby Worthington, I believe, was one talking about making those funnels out of, you know, whatever you could find, which I've done many times for my cameras, never thought to do it for a place I was actually hunting until I heard him say that. It was like, light bulb, I should have known that. Yeah. So that's why you listen to these things. That's why you learn from folks. So, you know, it's one of those things. Get out there, learn it, and, and write down everything you can. Note it. Uh, don't forget it. And, and do it in the winter when you can see it's so much more obvious, especially to somebody that doesn't spend a lot of time out there. You go out there in the summertime with screen. It's just it's a lot harder. Um, and it really takes some experiences to know what you're looking for in the summertime. And it can still be done, but it's just harder. And then you know those deer are going to transition. If they're there in the winter, they're likely there in the fall. So go out there in the, in, the, in the late winter if you can help it. I feel like so few people get out there then. I literally have probably, I, I, I do not believe it's an exaggeration when I tell you I've walked 500 miles on public land since February. I have not encountered a single person. Shed hunting, scouting, past vehicles, never walked up on a single person in the woods. Hmm. And that should tell you right there that a lot of folks just aren't willing to do it until October or November. And those folks are gonna be in it for luck, not persistence yeah mm, that's good stuff that's good stuff man well tell us tell us where we can find more about you uh i know you got a pretty uh hefty instagram following tell us about that yeah you can find me uh reese johnson seven on instagram um i've got a facebook page for my real estate it's a, it's a reese facebook.com slash reese johnson land uh you can find me there and then twitter's also reese johnson seven i try to stay active just to post properties um which like i said i'll be happy to help if anybody's looking for the the private land aspect of this, you know, managing deer, um, putting together food plots of properties. Um, you know, I mean, that is what I do full time. And, and that is what I know uh, plenty about. Also, I kind of went in the public uh, just because that's more what this audience tends to. But if somebody's looking to buy their dream farm and uh, in a state like Kentucky, uh, feel, feel free to reach out. I'll be happy to help anybody. Awesome, man. Well, dude, I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. No problem. Thank you. All right, thank you so much for listening. Thanks for tuning in, guys, and thank you, Reese, for coming on the show. I hope uh, I hope you guys really learned a lot from this episode. I know I did, um, especially when you talk about targeting specific bucks and targeting mature bucks. That's something that I have um, really been trying to get better at this last off season and studying. And even you can tell by the the, the people that we have been interviewing um, throughout the summer that is really piqued my interest on how to kill the most mature bucks in your area and so uh reese man if you're listening to this thank you so much for coming on the show all right that is going to be it for today's episode thank you guys so much for listening make sure you are connected with us on facebook and on instagram it's going to be all lowercase all one word at southern ground hunting um and on youtube you can go to the southern ground hunting youtube channel subscribe there click the bell so you get notified whenever i post a new video um yeah season's about here i have got 14 days from right now from the day i'm recording this 
14 days and I will be sitting in a freaking tree and I am excited about it. I know you guys are excited about it too. So with that being said, we will talk to you next week. Remember this, that God gave you dominion over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and the beasts of the earth. Go out and exercise that dominion. We'll talk to you next time.